0: Bum 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 Hey, all of you musicians out there. I am looking for music to play at the end of my podcast. So if you or anyone you know has some groovy tunes that you want played at the end of my show, reach out to me on my website, Kyle.surf. Not Kyle.surf.com, just Kyle.surf, and send them over to me. I will give you credit and I will link to your band page on my site. Also, Huge thank you to everyone who recently started donating to this podcast. I got a ton of new patrons in this last week, and I wanted to just send you a big virtual hug, a big fucking bear hug. Oh, I appreciate it so much. It helps keep this podcast going, and anyone who donates to the show, even just a couple bucks, gets entered into a raffle. I'm giving away gear from all of my surf sponsors every month, so Each month, someone wins a Sector 9 skateboard, someone wins a fitness kit from RPM Fitness, and someone wins a gift package from Patagonia Provisions. So get on over there. My website's kyle.surf and donate a few bucks. If you aren't in a position to donate financially, I totally understand. There are ways that you can support the podcast that don't involve your wallet. By giving the podcast a rating on iTunes, that is so helpful. And I really appreciate everyone who's done that so far. This episode is with David Scales. David hosts the Surf Splendor podcast. It's a really well-done show about all things surfing. And he actually had me on his podcast. So it was kind of two podcasters interviewing each other. I'd say for the first 70%, he interviews me. We talked about the big wave awards we talked about psychedelics we talked about the craft and the mistakes that we've both made uh, starting our own podcasts. and then I flipped the script on him and I started interviewing him so I urge you to go over to the surf splendor podcast and check out everything that he has going on it's a really solid show and I think that you will like it all right without further ado please welcome David scales
2: Okay cool <laughs> by the way, this beer is for you Jason Oh so, cheers so let's much. take a quick cheers the mics are hot by the way Cheers cheers, guys. cheers. Thank cheers. you um, yeah you want to know what we're drinking okay. so Thank you. this is libertine Brewing Company listener Tyler from libertine sent me a couple of cases of beer they use seawater in the beer this is a rare wild ale um, Aubrey is the name of it. it. Says it's a rye saison. So tastes there you good. Go. Yeah. Sea water. Yeah,
0: I've never heard of that.
2: Yeah, to be honest, I had not either. Uh, fermented and barrel aged in French oak, with unclear intentions yet spectacular results.
0: I've been doing a bit of research into Kernza recently. Do you know about this? I don't. So most uh, beer is made. Um, a lot of it is made with wheat, and that's mm-hmm. one of the main crops that we use in the United States. Uh, Iowa and Ohio and these states that are big monocrop um, agriculture states um, use wheat, and it's a very unsustainable crop because of the tilling that's needed. Um, a lot of carbon gets released into the atmosphere as a result of using so much wheat. Um, so there are a few sustain- new sustainable uh, breweries that are using kernzo which is a more deep rooted uh type of i guess it's maybe a type of wheat. i need to do more research on this it's a grain yeah it's a uh, type of grain but uh patagonia started using it in their beer got it and it it, uh actually tastes
2: pretty decent hmm i didn't know patagonia even made beer they just started making beer really big wind (laughs) yeah that's amazing yeah where is it available like in Uh, retail online yeah
0: yeah it's um it's A uh, perennial beer. So not all year long.
2: Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Fantastic. I just saw them in the news today, actually. I don't know if you saw this story that they're um, threatening to file a lawsuit against the Trump administration. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't hear about that. Yeah. I just saw it today. I don't know if I even left it open on my computer. Um, Just read the headline something like truck penned an executive order that instructed a review of two dozen U S national monuments, which would either rescind or modify monuments larger than 10, a hundred thousand acres. I guess some of it to summarize, some of it was threatening California's central coast. Right. So, um, Apparently, he doesn't have the legal right to do it, and so Patagonia is getting involved or at least threatening to get involved. So That's great. Yeah. yeah, they
0: put a ton of their money into legal teams and environmental lobbyists, right? which is super important. One thing that Trump has done that's been really controversial is he's um, trying to take federal land, federal public land, and transfer it into state lands, which makes it easier to sell off. Um and california is a a really interesting example because um a third of our state's uh, land is public Mm. like massive amounts right you think you think of los angeles you think of huntington beach where we are right now and houses are stacked up against each other but if you drive from here to santa cruz a lot of that land is rural
2: and forget it think about santa cruz north
0: yeah it's like nobody yeah occupies i heard a stat recently that said uh about 90% of Californians live in urban areas, mm. but 90% of California is rural. Totally believe uh, it. Yeah. Yeah. I've been learning a lot about this recently with a guy who I'm a big fan of named Steve Ranella. He oh, yeah. He uh, hosts a show called Meat Eater. Dude, I love that show. Oh, he's such a badass. Yeah. He's a great advocate for the sport as well. Because totally. you learn a lot about conservation through the sport of hunting. Yeah. Um, growing up in Santa Cruz, I was never a hunter, so... I had all of my preconceived, uneducated uh, ideas about what hunters are, yeah. right? Um, and then when I started learning about all of the taxes on ammunition, taxes on hunting license that uh, restore habitat and protect species, um, I started getting really interested in And I now I'm convinced that hunters are some of um, the most effective environmentalists out there.
2: Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. When it comes to
0: public land, when it comes to species management.
2: Yeah fascinating um we should probably set the topic right with what we're doing here is this kyle tierman on surf splendor is this david scales on the kyle tierman show it's going it's bold man this is the
0: first time i've done this i love it cross promotion yeah um um,
2: who starts with giving
0: introductions i don't know man i don't really do uh i guess i do introductions but my podcast uh is a lot has less of a format than yours i'd say Mm -hmm. um So I think that this is probably going to be a blend between the two because you sent me uh, a couple questions and ideas that we can talk about, which I think is good because sometimes it structures it and you don't end up uh, drawing a blank halfway through. Uh, But one of my favorite things about having started my podcast is that we go down some crazy fucking rabbit holes and I have no idea where I'm going and I'm kind of just holding on to the reins and wherever we go, we go and we can end up in some pretty cool places as a a result.
2: It's a delicate balance. like. Then I find that the notes are notes are helpful so that I can like try to find my way back, you know, once you go down that rabbit hole to then be able to tie it back up. Otherwise sometimes the listener's sitting there going, Dude, I wanted to know who won that contest or whatever it is, you know? <laughs> Yeah, you gotta, so,
0: gotta tie a nice little bow on the idea.
2: Yeah, so I I'll say, um, my listeners know who you are because we did an episode together back in October where I interviewed you talking about um you know, your activism and big wave surfing and a lot of that sort of thing. And it got a lot of good feedback uh, from that episode. But also, you were in the midst of launching your own podcast at that time. So I think you already had a number of shows in the can, but you hadn't actually launched it. Let's catch up on that. How's it gone since you uh, since you launched?
0: Uh, trial by fire, man. Really? I've been learning a ton. Yeah? Everything from figuring out the best microphones to use to learning how to hold a conversation, man, people are very, um, poor at holding conversations in our day and age. And it's something that really worries me, uh, because we rarely will talk to someone else for more than a 15 minute stint without looking at our little demon devices and having that thought, uh, sliced. And it's something that I've really had to develop and I've, I've It's just been such a fun experience for me, man. Like learning all of my verbal tics, learning how to hold a conversation better and uh, getting into some really interesting spots.
2: Do you listen to your episodes?
0: Oh yeah. You do? Absolutely. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. It's the only way I'm going to get better.
2: Yeah. Well, I have and I haven't over the years. I think early on I really did. And then I'd like hyperanalyze stuff and I'd lose sleep over it. And then I got to a point where it's just kind of like... I know if I nailed it or if I didn't by the time the episode is done recording. Now I just don't have the time to actually listen to them, you know, especially if you're trying to bang one out every week, you know, 90 minutes at a time, it's hard to keep up. But um, but I have listened to a number of your shows and uh, I've really enjoyed it and I've recommended them to listeners. Like I, one that stood out for me was the Sean Dollar episode just because, number one, it's surfing. So that's particularly relevant to me. But also I didn't know – anything about all of the concussions um and how prevalent it is the, the show is really about concussions and like how he's dealt with it how he's treated it and all that sort of stuff and it's yeah. fascinating
0: yeah um i didn't know that and he hadn't shared that with any, prior to recording with, he... with any media um that when he broke his neck last year he suffered a, a severe concussion and that was um not the first concussion and as a result he um suffered from CTE, which if you've seen the, um, the Will Smith film concussion, that's something that, uh, football players, um, suffer from. And you, as a result of getting your head banged around consistently can get depression, uh, mood swings, a lot of, a lot of very dark shit can mm-hmm. result. Um, and I didn't expect him to talk about it and I didn't really know about it, but I think that the podcast is, a it's one of those formats where people can say what they really mean, and it's not going to be misinterpreted, and I'm not going to use a quote and take it out of context. And if you listen to that, that was one of my favorite episodes ever, because he was did it? he did really open up about something vulnerable and honest. And I didn't do much talking in that episode. It was just me listening. Um, and I think that it can be therapeutic for people sometimes. Yeah. Um, so, and and that was an early on. I think that one's episode five. Oh, okay. And that was one that really kind of forced forced me to reflect and say, you know what, I do think that this is useful. This has a, a place. Um, and a lot of the episodes are just super fun, man. I get to go down. Uh, I get to meet people and sit down with them who would never normally make the time to have an hour and a half long right. conversation. Right. Um, a, a couple. Maybe like last month, I had the chance to sit down with uh, Thomas Morton. Um, I mean, for people who haven't heard my podcast, it's not all surfing. Some of it's surfing, yeah. some of it's film. It's, it really is just people who I, uh, who I meet along the way.
2: Before you get into Thomas Morton real quick, uh, break that down a little bit. Like, what is the premise for the podcast? What is your objective?
0: Uh, well, hopefully t- to have it be interesting and make people laugh.
2: How do you select your... Uh, interview subjects, I guess
0: it's very instinctual. If I okay. think that someone has an interesting story to tell, um, and if I'm curious about them, um, I'll sit them down and we'll talk some shit and have some fun. But when it came to so, so Thomas Morton is a Vice correspondent. Uh, he has his own. He's on Vice HBO. He has his own show on Vice Land. He's the. Kind of nerdy-looking five-five white kid who you'll see in war zones and yeah. at, uh, you know, like just the what the craziest situations ever. Dude, he
1: and
2: hasn't it, aged in ten years. Oh no! I used to watch him when it when they were just on the internet doing episodes like before the TV and yeah. all that. I used to watch him then. He looks exactly the same yeah. now. He looks. And by the way, he looks. 18. All along the way. You no. know? It's not like... He He's like
0: five, five, a buck 20. <laughs> yeah, it's hilarious. But uh, he has a very non-threatening demeanor. Totally. And it allows him to get into some crazy fucking situations. And his documentary that he did on the North Pacific Gyre, which is the um, big garbage patch between yeah. California and Hawaii, was one of the main stories that inspired me... To get into documentary filmmaking It it was an honest Account of what's happening out there He sailed out with Captain Paul Watson, who Hmm. discovered the gyre. And for people who don't know, the gyre is this huge toilet bowl in the middle of our ocean. And if you drop a plastic bottle off the coast of California or Hawaii, it will eventually end up in this big swirling toilet bowl. A lot of people have a misconception about what the gyre is, and they talk about it as this big island in the middle of the ocean that's twice the size of Texas. That's not true. What it is is a soup, it's a plastic soup. And it's a lot worse than an island, actually, because the plastic will break down into this confetti. And there are five gyres around the world, and the North Pacific gyre is the the biggest one. And he went out there with his team, and um, it's, a, it's a great story, and he did that maybe 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And it was something that inspired me because he's just a regular guy out there doing basically citizen journalism. I mean, he's doing it for Vice, but it's about as close to citizen journalism as you can get. And I hit him up and we sat down and it was so helpful for me to hear his insights and his trials and tribulations along his own career, because it's something that I want, I want to do. I I really do aspire to aspects of him. So part of the podcast is just selfish to answer your question, who it is that I want to sit down with. Yeah. It's people who I think are cool and I've benefited so much from it, from being able to sit down with, uh, Big wave world champions, um, f- film correspondents, doctors—it—it's it, just such a blast, man.
2: Um, yeah, I—I've had a similar experience, honestly, um, with the podcast as well. Like, I've learned a lot about myself, and I've learned that same learning curve that you're talking about—learning how to have a conversation. Obviously, it's not something you can—that they teach in school. You can't take a class. I mean, maybe there are classes for. I don't know, interviewing maybe, but maybe not a conversation. But um, but this isn't really an interview, right? This yeah, is a conversation. Yeah, this isn't. They... Well, you don't want it to be. No. You don't want it to be no. an interview. And when you were talking about with Sean Dollar, like you did very little talking in that episode, I think there's different styles of interviewers. So I listen to Mark Marin, and I find that I cherry pick episodes with him because based on who the, the uh, interview subject is, Because he infuses so much of his personality into the interview that it's like, unless you love Mark Maron, it's hard to enjoy the podcast, you know? And, but he's a comedian and he's got a very defined point of view. I'm not a comedian. And to be honest, that's just not my style. So as much as I love Marin and listening to him interview certain people, I don't aspire to be like that. And I've kind of taken an opposite approach, which is like your Sean Dollar thing. And that is... My guest is the interesting person. They've done something in their life that is interesting, and so I'm going to take the back seat. I want to be as neutral as possible and just let them be themselves. And if I can probe them to be themselves and think of interesting questions and ways to guide the conversation, that's been actually the most interesting or challenging learning curve for me is guiding the conversation.
0: you know What were the biggest mistakes that you made
2: early on when you were first launching your show? <laughs> um, well, saying, um, like I did just now is probably one. I also, I think I would get in the way of people. I would interrupt things by, like, I have my list of notes and I want to stick to the script. And so if they are opening up and going down the rabbit hole that you're talking about, which is infinitely more interesting than the question that I thought of on my notes, I found myself wanting to stick to the notes and then getting in their way a little bit and blocking too much. So I've tried to be somewhat more um i don't know just get out of the way somewhat more neutral yeah you know um i also this is probably just i don't know a technical thing more than anything it's probably not interrupting the the flow of the conversation at all but i would also find myself just saying yeah uh huh yeah, like as they're talking every five seconds to cue them that I'm listening, and it's so unnecessary. And when you're listening back, you're like, dude, shut up, you know?
0: Yeah, there are a lot of verbal tics that we go through life without noticing. Yeah. I encourage anyone who wants to get better at speaking um, to sit down with some friends and use the voice recorder app on their phone and have a conversation, forget that you're recording, and then listen back to it afterwards because there's so much that we say that are nervous ticks that get in the way of us making our point, mm. right? That the most effective speakers use their words and use um, their voices with more intentionality, right? Right. Someone once told me, uh, I I was sitting down uh, for an old film that I was doing. I interviewed a guy named Van Jones, who is a mega environmental leader. He's done a lot of work getting black um, people in prison out to um, install solar panels and into green jobs. So the the concept is around uh, getting the work that most needs to be done to the people who most need work. And he is an amazing storyteller, speaker. And once I was interviewing him, uh, actually about nuclear power, I was doing a story on, on nuclear power and the, the proposed uh, nuclear power at JBay. bay uh, And I kept it recording. And when the interview was done, I said, dude, do you have any speaking tips for me? Because you are fucking amazing, man. And he said, you know, people think that speaking is about what you say. It's about the moments in between what you say. And he he told me a story. He said, so let's say I'm trying to explain this little girl. uh, And she's in the projects, and she's got a blue dress, and there were red blinds behind her, and she's got this messed up situation. So I could give you all those details, right? Or if I'm giving that speech, I could say, so I'm in the projects. And I meet this little girl. And I walk up to her. He said, look, I didn't give you any of those details, but I gave you enough time to make those details in your head. So you're picturing a little girl that I never could have created for you. And that was something he told me years ago, and it's always stuck with me. And it doesn't always work in the podcast format, but in speaking, yeah. noticing when you're going to pause is, is very important. Comedians are the masters at that, totally. right? Because they need time for their joke to hit. Yeah, exactly.
2: Fascinating. Um, we have a few things that I wanted to catch up on since we last spoke, uh, and you're actually in town right now for the Big Wave Awards that just took place last night, so we'll get into that as well. Um, you surf big waves, and we talked about that on the previous show. One of the boards that you showed me was this, the Travis Reynolds, I think it was like a 9-6 maybe? Yeah. That's the, yeah, 9-6. Good memory. Thanks. Um, and we checked out that board. I might have even posted a photo of it on Instagram after we talked you were seen later that winter on that board going over the Falls on Mavericks. I assume you had a couple successful rides as well, but the most, uh, I don't know, publicized wave that you caught on that board, yeah. you went over. The, the clean,
0: medium sized wave that you made is never publicized. Isn't that a it's, bummer? It's always the <laughs> Dude, spectacular wave. We want to see the
2: train wrecks, buddy. <laughs> yeah, we
0: love the carnage. Um,
2: I wanted to chat about that wipeout, man. Give me the blow by blow. It was a pretty well um, documented. I saw that thing pop up on a lot of Instagram feeds. Yeah. How was that?
0: I'll, I'll give you the story. Uh, Please. So, Give me the Van Jones version. The Van Jones version. So I was at Mavericks one yeah. day. The Maverick. <laughs> well, it wasn't the greatest year for Mavericks, but we at the beginning of this season, we did have a flurry of swells. And that day, you might remember, I believe it was in November might have been in December, but it was the fifth day of a whole week of Maverick sessions, which is really rare totally. and, and very fun, too, because the first session back, you're always trying to dust off the cobwebs. Then the second, you can kind of get into your rhythm. And we had had waves that entire week. So my housemate, Tyler Fox, and I had been going up every single day and and getting some really fun sessions, and I was starting to feel more and more comfortable out there. And this was... And just an A-plus hmm. day. We uh, took a boat out. A lot of times, uh, a group of surfers will band together and we'll all hire a boat because you can stay out all day and you don't get as tired and need to go in and then paddle back out. It's a long paddle out. So I was on a boat with, who was it? Um, Tyler Fox, Hotman, who's a Moroccan big wave surfer. How do I not know hot Man? Oh, you need to have him on your show. He's amazing. Really? A uh, really good surfer, too. What's his
2: actual name? Do you know?
0: Offman. His name's Offman, and everyone calls him Hotman. Got it. Got it. Uh, Tom Lowe was on the boat. Uh, maybe one or two people who I'm forgetting, but Nick Vaughn was, was on as well. And it was high tide in the morning. It was bluebird, sunny day, offshore, and it was unloading on the reef. A lot of times when it's lower tide, the waves will break further out the back, and they'll kind of crumble, and that's where you can see guys like Ben Andrews, who right. won the, the biggest wave uh, this year.
2: The paddle wave. The right.
0: paddle wave, yeah. He could kind of chip in from out the back, and then it unloads on that reef. But when it's high tide, it'll, it'll hold up until it hits that reef, and all of the power detonates in one section. And um, I remember we we were rocking up on the boat, and as you are going uh, to Mavericks from a boat, you're looking sideways into the wave, okay, which is a really interesting angle uh, into the right, into the right. You're looking into the right, so you can see the barrel. Yeah, and I remember we were uh, we were boating in, and we saw a wave hit the reef that was as big and as good of as any wave I have ever seen out there. Really? 25 feet, detonated on the reef, spit its guts out, boom And all of us, just like each other, and we're like,
2: holy shit, this is... Like before sun up, or was there guys... The sun was
0: already up. Okay. Uh, there were a few guys out. But nobody was on
2: that thing. But a lot of times you
0: don't want to rush it out there on those big days. Okay. Because it takes some time to see what it's really doing. Mm-hmm. Um, So I waited for a little while and then maybe paddled out a half an hour in. And, you know, I'm very instinctual with how I approach that wave. Um, I'm very grateful also that I don't make my entire living from surfing. So I don't feel the uh, public and sponsorship pressure to get the wave of the winter every single year. And I have also seen people who take a really bad wipeout and then don't go back to big wave surfing as a result really i mean it just it's one of those things that can rattle you and you start to question how bad you really want it right and um i I just i really enjoy surfing big waves it's so fun i i tend to feel the most alive and my priorities get set in straight Um, when I surf big waves and I really want it to be a long-term thing for me. Sure. And I also don't feel the need to catch the biggest wave ever ridden. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm, I very much try and tune into how I'm feeling every single time that I'm out there. And if, and some days I'll sit out on the shoulder and I'll catch a few sleigh rides and that's all good. And I'll cheer some of my friends into it. And on this morning I was feeling really confident. I was feeling really good. And, um, I find that when I have those spurts of energy, it's, it's really good to ride them as much as possible. And I remember thinking to myself, fuck it, I'm going to go catch a bomb right now. It's, it's as good as it gets right now, and that wave is out there for me. I feel prepped because I've been surfing this wave all week, and I know exactly where to sit. And a lot of guys were in a very condensed pack. That's the special thing about Mavericks is that um, you're sitting basically shoulder-to-shoulder, to everyone else because the bowl is so defined and i noticed that the waves were breaking a little bit further out than everyone when where everyone was sitting and there were a lot of guys scratching to get over the waves and then there were some of the biggest set waves were going unridden so i paddled straight out and i sat about 15 feet outside of everyone Mm. else and i remember nathan fletcher was um just to my... He was just on the shoulder of where I was. But we were the two that were sitting a little bit further out than everyone. And man, it wasn't 10 minutes into the session that that wave came. And when that opportunity comes, I thought, oh, this is my wave. Absolutely. Um, I saw it and I paddled as hard as I could. And I made it into it very easily. It, it, it peaked on the reef. It unloaded. And I was just a little too far up the face of the wave. Um, dropping into waves at Mavericks, you really want to be low on it and then you want to get up early because it's such a bowl. It's really easy to get sucked up the face of the wave and then you're airdropping down and most of the time you're not going to make it. Yeah. And I was just a little too far up the face of the wave and my board, I think, was a little too thick for the day. I've I've toned down um, on the kinds of boards that I've been riding since that uh, day and fell on a real big wave and went head over the heels and luckily uh it wasn't as bad as it looked
2: isn't that always the case it always is
0: yeah um so one thing about mavericks is that the reef is shaped kind of like a finger Mm -hmm. so it'll unload on that outside reef and then it will the energy will start to disseminate but then the the there's a second kind of finger on the reef where it'll regain energy. And that's why it's such a dangerous wave is because it can hold you down for a really long time and drag you along. Whereas a lot of waves will kind of explode and then the energy will, will dissipate. Uh, But because that wave was so far out the back, what it did is I was able to kind of pencil forward and it dragged me along, but I was on the back part of that energy and wasn't under for very long at all. Cool. Whereas a lot of waves where people wipe out on inside small waves, that's when they'll get dragged down and get the beating of their life. And it maybe will only look like a 15 or 20-foot faced wave. Right. So it's really difficult to tell, and the, and the photos always lie.
2: Right. Which
0: is kind of ironic. that You know, when we were at the, the Big Wave wards last night, yeah. it's all based on the, the photos and of the course. video and, and how it really looks. I was actually just over um, at my friend's house with Willem Banks who won the wipeout of the year and I asked him right before I came over here I said like, how bad was that and he's like you know it wasn't actually that bad but don't the want video to... sure <laughs> like, No, but no one wants to hear that <laughs> you right? Do, well
2: you don't even want to admit it right? let him believe it's <laughs> exactly. terrible I want that award I want, I want to cash that chart. right right. Um, so I want to ask you about him actually because he's from Santa Cruz and he's 18 years old
0: I think so yeah
2: yeah and it's like I've found okay like I, I care about surfing And I pay attention to surfing. And I talk about it on a podcast every week. I don't know who he is. And there's a lot of big wave surfers. You mentioned Ben Andrews. I didn't know who he was until it popped up. And every single year in the big wave uh, awards, I find that that happens. Um, At the same time, I've thought about even dedicating maybe like a once every quarter, maybe once a month podcast to interviewing big wave surfers. Because not only are they unsung heroes cliche of the year, but like it requires an interesting human being to even pursue that lifestyle and there's no money attached to it. You have to drop it. Those waves only happen in a few places throughout the world. You find out with very short notice, oftentimes whether it's going to actually be greenlit, you know, um, for a contest or not, which is whether the day is going to run. So to be able to kind of drop everything you're doing, to get to that part of the world, to be there for that day, to be as physically fit as is required to really be in those conditions and survive those conditions makes for compelling human beings. And it's like I would love to talk to those guys. I don't know why I haven't yet. Actually. They're very
0: experience-driven people. Uh, and I've had some some fun times sitting down with big wave guys on the podcast, like uh, Jamie Mitchell Greg Long. I just sat down with Kai Lenny yesterday. Yeah. And to get uh, into their minds and figure out why it is that these people yeah. do what they do is is uh, very cool. And I think that in a, a time where so many people are doing uh, a job that they hate, exactly. they're in a life that they're not passionate about, and they're kind of going through the motions because society told them that this is the way that you do it, but they're looking around saying, this doesn't Feel right. This yeah. doesn't feel like living. I mean, you look at the the antidepressant epidemic in this country. You look at the opiate um, epidemic in this country. Right now, America is the largest opiate epidemic in our in our country's history. There are some serious problems going on on a large scale because people aren't questioning the premise about of what life is really about and how we should be living it. And I think that big wave surfers tend to, as I said, be very experience driven people. Most of them are, have a separate job. They're figuring out another way to make ends meet and they're doing it because that is what makes them feel alive. And I really enjoy being around those types of
2: people. Totally. So who is Willem Banks and does he have a job? Is he still in school? Like, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. He, uh, he's out of high school. I grew up with him. Uh, he works, I believe, in Bonny Dune, which is just north of Santa Cruz at a ding repair spot. Oh, okay. He's a classic kid, though. Really good small wave surfer, too. Really? Shredding style. Yeah. Uh, and I think that he, despite that wipeout, he's been going at Mavericks in a very intelligent way because mm. he has been out there the, the past few years. The reason you haven't heard of him is because he's been catching medium-sized, decent waves, and he makes most of his waves. Yeah. Uh, and he just... Sent it on a Hail Mary and got a ton of publicity for it. Yeah. Um, but he's a, he's a great surfer.
2: That's awesome. Well, let's... Um, I want to ask you actually about the Big Wave Awards. Uh, how was the event? Juve. How was the event? It
0: was a... Um, honestly, I think it was a lackluster year for Big Waves hmm. compared to El Nino. Okay. Um, I mean, when you look at Billy Kemper's Ride of the Year... And you put that up against any of the rides of the year last year, whether it be Nathan Florence's Barrel at Chopu or Shane Dorian's two uh, nominations for Ride of the Year. Uh, it doesn't, or Albie Lair's Barrel. Um, I don't think that any of the nominations for Ride of the Year this year would have been in that top five.
2: Calling out Billy, dude. I, I think. I mean, <laughs> n- nothing against. No, I know. i He's, he's, with he's you. an amazing
0: surfer. I'm messing. I with think you. that he has the cap- the capabilities to get the best wave. Two-time Jaws champ. He's anyone. Yeah. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I'm just I... saying. I, I don't think. I don't think that Mother Nature delivered in the same way that it that it delivered. Well, here's the in thing. the previous year. Here's
2: the thing with that wave of Billy's. Is it's it's a perfect wave. Yeah. And like he rides it perfectly, but it was a perfect wave. Whereas. um the Shane Dorian waves that you were talking about, like, those things were sketchy. And, of course, Nathan Florence's, it's like, maybe that was a perfect wave. It wasn't even... It was, it was otherworldly. It wasn't even a wave, you know? That thing was just mutant. Yeah. And, like, the skill involved to do what Nathan did, it's like, I've never even seen anybody... Attempt to do what he
0: did. I thought that he should have won last year. It was unreal. That was a unicorn. Totally. We we might not see another wave like that in another ten years. It's
2: hard to even judge that compared to Jaws or to a different surf spot because it's so different. You know, which is what I'm learning
0: as I've gone to a few of the big wave awards now. It's a celebration of a community coming together. you know, the the fact that the barrel of the year is based on a photo.
2: Yeah, what's up with that? Is
0: Yeah, I mean, it's a bunch of amazing photos. And we should be celebrating these psychos that go out and do their thing. And it's really cool to have everyone come together and celebrate what it is that we love to do. But the comparison of, like, well, was, was Ben Andrews' wave better than Billy Kemper's wave? It was a lot bigger. Yeah. He didn't get barreled on it, yeah. so it is a very subjective sport, and I find that the best guys really aren't wrapped up in that as much. I was talking to Jamie Mitchell, who won the Performer of the Year uh, this year, and he said, he, he, it, we we're having a beer afterwards, and he said, you know, I felt like I, I tried a lot harder to get the Performer of the Year last year. Because there were so many more swells, right? Those guys were busy. They were on a plane every other week, and it was stressful. And then this year, it kind of came easy to him, Right. And he is an amazing surfer, man. I have nothing but good things to say about his performance. He was, hands down, I think, the best performer at Mavericks this year. Really? Um, But another kid who I thought didn't get the the recognition that they deserved was the the Brazilian kid, Lucas Chumbo. Mm hmm Chumbo? I I might be mispronouncing his his last name, and I, I apologize. But... That kid is going to do amazing things in really? big wave surfing. Oh my god! To see him out at Mavericks this last year, he was consistently getting the the biggest, best waves, and he dropped into a left that wasn't nearly publicized enough, but really? it was one of the best lefts I'd ever seen anyone catch out at Mavericks. Wow!
2: Yeah. So, what is the deal though with them doing basing the tube category on a photograph, where, while all other categories are based on video? Because it's like that's the category. We've all known since we were kids, the tube doesn't count unless you make it essentially, you know, like why wouldn't they want a video of the tube instead? Do you have any idea? I don't. Do people complain about that?
0: I, I'm not in it enough okay. to have insight on that.
2: Okay. Because the photos are unbelievable, of course. And like, I like them and I'm down to celebrate them like you said, but I want to see if they made the wave or not, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, so just to give listeners the quick rundown, Billy Kemper, ride of the year uh paddle wave of the year was ben andrews at mavericks biggest wave was francisco porcella overall women's performance paige alm overall men's performance jamie mitchell tube ride was shannon Worrell. uh photographed by jamie scott Was that – it's in Australia. Was it at the right or ours? Do you know? Shipsterns? It was at the
0: right. It was at the right. Uh, uh, It might have been at Shipsterns. Shipsterns are the right.
2: It's tight. The photo is kind of tightly composed so you can't see any background or anything. Big ass barrel, that's for sure. Totally. And again, a mutant wave, you know. Oh, yeah. Um, And then wipe out of the year, of course, Willem Banks. I was going to – I wanted to pick your brain too um, as a big wave surfer about Francesco Francisco. Francisco, Francisco Porcella. Porcella. Uh, biggest wave award for the toe-in wave at Nazare, which I had a hard time. Um, I watched all the waves prior to the award show and was trying to you know, pick who I thought would win. That is definitely the biggest wave, but it's also towed into, and it's also not the steepest, most critical wave. It's a bit of a roll-in. Impressive nonetheless, but not as challenging, I would say, to ride. What are your thoughts on that and in terms of deeming it a winner? Do you have any opinions?
0: I have no interest in surfing Nazare. Yeah. As much as I love surfing big waves, that place just looks hellacious to me and super dangerous. Uh, Francisco has quite a sack attached to him and he will take off on any sized wave. Um, And he's also a very good paddle big wave surfer um and you know i i don't think that it takes a ton of skill to get towed into a massive wave uh especially one that's not barreling right um you know you're kind of just managing a bunch of bumps rather than uh to see what someone like Lenny or albie lair is doing at jaws that takes way more skill, right? Because they they have to use their arms to paddle in. They have to make a big critical bottom turn and hopefully get a big barrel. Uh, so it's just a different type of of thing. Uh, I think it's super dangerous. There's a huge risk of not only drowning but but risk of injury when you're going at that speed and you're strapped into a board. Um, so hats off to them for taking off on that wave, but I am personally not interested in Nazare I'm, I'm not as fascinated by Nazare as I am by Mavericks and um, and Jaws
2: I think that there's certainly days at Nazare that are gnarly like that or that are more of the barreling critical like especially the right is super critical and barreling that wave in particular though was so big and almost off the reef that it just I don't I th-
0: think there's a reef there
2: really no oh it's no it's, it's a beach break it's just you're a right. big beach break yeah you're right when it's small, it looks insanely fun, big There's fun, a, there's the a big
0: canyon outside of Nazare, similar to Puerto Escondido. So what it causes the, the swells to do is refract off of each other, and that's how you get those massive peaks. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very similar setup to, to Puerto, the, the submarine canyon outside. If you look at a lot of the best beach breaks in the world, it's because they have that submarine canyon. So the energy from the swell isn't getting impacted by a shelf and it can right. come all the way in and then there's a canyon that allows the um, the swells to
2: refract and create yeah. a peak. Um it seems like they had the prize money increased this year. I didn't actually check to see what it was last year, but the numbers just seemed higher. Do you know anything about prize money in previous years? I was uh, eaten late night IHOP with Paige
0: Alms the other day and she, <laughs> she, after the awards and she said that she made 15 grand for her women's um, yeah award which doesn't seem like a whole lot
2: <laughs> yeah yeah I know but. even though it seems increased I was really questioning it's just I, I'm not even questioning the equitability because the WSL has their own business that they model that they have to run and like can't criticize them for that but it's a hard thing to quantify. How do you put a price on a wipeout? You know what I mean? Or whatever. Well, it's viewerships,
0: so, right? Why does Tiger Woods. Yeah, um,
2: exactly. I guess that's what it is. Or
0: any of those guys make that much more money. It's all about who's watching and how can you you market it.
2: I'm curious about the women. Speaking of Paige Alm, uh, women, Big Wave World Tour, we saw them surf an event at Jaws this past year. Um, it was... Uh, it was questionable, you know, like, especially when you see the women's heats in contrast to the men's heats where the guys are just going on everything. And then the women paddled out and they were kind of on the shoulder a bit. They were kind of dodging. They were out of position for a lot of waves. Two of them ended up in the hospital after the event. It seems like there's a lot of, um, the WSL is going to have to navigate and mitigate a lot of risk. In future events like that, because number one, it wasn't very interesting to watch from the viewer standpoint. We didn't get to see a lot of great surfing happening in that in those couple of heats. And then people ended up in the hospital, you know, so um, that's a challenge that the WSL is going to have to overcome. What are your thoughts? on women's big wave world, sir? Well,
0: I'm going to have a lot better insight for you after tomorrow because I'm sitting down with Paige on my show tomorrow. So she will be able to give a lot better insight than I can.
2: What do you want to ask her?
0: Well, apparently she's one of the only ones who wants to have the event at Jaws again. Really? Yeah. One one of the only women, right? Okay. So I'm going to ask her about this tomorrow, but I I imagine her perspective is, come on, guys, let's... Let's do this. If I, I personally want to see the women charging at the biggest waves in the world, right alongside the men, I don't think that it's going to be very interesting for viewers to see them at twelve to fifteen foot Waimea. Um, And I do think that just after that one go, I think that it was unlucky that two women got injured. I doubt that that's going to be the case next year. It might be, but yeah, I mean, I. I I think that it would be awesome to see a women's heat at Mavericks and another women's heat at Jaws because I do think that they are capable of doing it, especially Paige, who's proven that she can, um, not only in the in that heat, but in previous competition settings. And in free surfing. She's yes, a she's an amazing sure. surfer, yeah. yeah. So I would rather see them uh, doing it in heavier waves than I would have them... Knock it down to a smaller wave size because I don't think that that's going to be as interesting for the viewer. And I think that it was just, it was just one time, and I would like to see them do it again.
2: Yeah, I, I agree with you that you want to see them. You, you also the want to see, waves. but you
0: also want to see them do.
2: You also want to see them in good conditions, right?
0: Like one of the things that they'll do on the women's uh, WSL, right, is they'll send them out into into conditions um, when it's not as good as when the men's conditions right. are, but. If the wind turns south at Mavericks on the competition day and then they send women out into 50-foot seas, that's not nice at all. So I want to see them out there when it's as good as it gets and it's clean and I think that they'll be able to perform.
2: What's the scene like at Mavericks with women surfing? I know that obviously the Titans of Mavericks thing isn't going to run, but like the women... um were petitioning to be involved in that. And that was kind of a whole hoopla thing, but what is the free surf scene like up there with the women?
0: Um, there are definitely some ladies who charge really hard. Bianca Valenti is, I think one of the best. She's also a good small wave surfer is and she? I've surfed with her down in Port Escondido and she's really impressive down there. Yeah. Uh, I think that she gets, tends to get the best waves out there. Savannah Shaughnessy is also an amazing surfer. She had a, a bad knee injury last year at Mavericks and has been recovering from that. Hmm. Uh, those are the two ladies who I see out there um, in the bowl with the men.
2: Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, those names I've heard of. And I think Bianca has been kind of the spearhead of uh, getting women's, you know, competitive big wave surfing into the limelight, yeah. especially at Mavericks. Yeah. By the way, kind of just a total side note, but do you have any insight into that um, Titans of Mavericks debacle or do you want to talk about it or not talk about it
0: i i mean i have no problem not i I have no problem talking about it i i think that they got themselves into a big fucking mess.
2: they being cartel management or like yeah
0: i i I, what
2: was the story can you
0: i i yeah i'm not an insider so i can't give you the the full story of what's happening um i know that they filed for bankruptcy right um,
2: and that they lost a big lawsuit to with Red Bull. Um, it's like $400,000, I guess, that Red Bull had given them for media rights that then Titans wasn't going to run the event and also not returning their phone calls, not returning their emails in regard to paying back the money. That's what that was about. Yeah, um, so I think that it's a
0: bummer that they have said, they've made excuses to not run the event that weren't true yeah right they've said like oh we're not going to run it because the swell wasn't there and there were two or three a plus days this winter
2: that definitely wasn't the reason in the early part of the window too yeah so let me just reset the topic for listeners real quick to bring them up to speed basically the titans and mavericks got the permit to run an event there for i don't know three to five three or five years i forget what it was and um I, and then ultimately they haven't run the event. And it came out that the Coastal Commission never got paid for the permit. So that's why they never issued the permit. I'm just curious what the local community up there's view was of Titans of Mavericks. Were they a good thing? Were they somebody who was going to actually like shine a light and do it correctly? Or was the local community's feeling that these were people that came in you know, from out of town, who are looking to just capitalize off of it, or I mean, in the end, they didn't deliver on the yeah. People just way. wanted to
0: see the event run. Okay, it's shit. It's easy for me to do an hour drive up to Mavericks and surf it whenever I can, and but guys are flying in from Brazil, right. Every single swell, and yeah, they're doing it because they love Mavericks and they're passionate about it. But to have that carrot, right? That potentially some some kid like Lucas who's been charging all year could get in the contest and I think that he should get in the contest and then have there not be an event is just, it's a bummer. You know, right. we want to, we want to see that happen. But I, I, again, I'm not in that serpent's pit mm-hmm. um, and I actively try and stay out of it. Yeah. Uh, you know, so at the end of the day, the contests have rarely been when the best rides go down anyway. Sure. You know, you look at the best waves of the year and um, it was, uh, not the norm that Billy Kemper got the ride of the year and he was in a heat doing that. Right? Yeah. So I think that it will always continue the best waves will tend to continue to happen on free surf sessions and that's what people love most. Yeah. Um, but you know Mavericks is an amazing wave man and when if you get a day like the 2010 contest it's the greatest show on earth.
2: It's funny you say that. And about... we
0: had a day like that yeah, this year. Right. That we absolutely had a day like that where there were multiple rides that went down ben andrews was one of them um tyler fox was another one who he's got an insane wave. there were so many good waves that went down that day and it wasn't windy for the whole day which is really rare that's that's one of the issues at mavericks mm-hmm. is that a lot of times the wind will come up and and it'll uh it'll make it shitty for the rest of the day so
2: we had that day and it's a that the contest didn't run It's interesting you pointed that out about Billy Kemper being in a contest and getting the ride of the year because I've thought that in the last couple of years on the WSL like Championship Tour, the best when you reflect on the year, the best surfing had has been happening actually on the World Tour. When you look like last year, for example, Felipe Toledo at Snapper, it was insane. Like I've never seen anybody surf Snapper like that, you know. And then Owen Wright at Cloud Break. You know, the year prior where he got like four tens throughout the event. Um, Kelly at Chopu last year was absolutely mind boggling and better than I've ever seen Kelly surf Chopu. And the waves were as good as they get there. Better than I've seen anybody surf Chopu. So when you reflect on the year, I'm going, man, the best surfing is happening on the world tour. In previous, I don't think I've ever said that before because there was always Dane Reynolds out putting out free surf edits, you know, or whatever. And now John John is on tour winning events and stuff so it's kind of an interesting time and i don't know if that's a reflection of the wsl doing a better job with what they're doing on their end organizing or if it's you know the surfers actually are incentivized to now go on tour and earn better paychecks or whatever it's interesting though that it's happening or that it happened on the big wave level this year because i really hadn't thought about that or analyzed that before
0: up in Santa Cruz I'm so Out of the loop On that Like Seriously On the competitive I, side Yeah I love surfing Big waves uh, But Like I was just down in Costa Rica Shooting a story on Ayahuasca For the last
2: couple of weeks I saw that you interviewed the guy. <laughs> Which is like It's
0: just a whole nother world You know And that kind of stuff Fascinates me so much more than
2: um, I saw that you did a podcast With a guy the ayahuasca The doctor I did So it's going to be a, a film piece as well or a video? Yeah, I was hired as a shooter
0: uh, to go down to a place called Rhythmia, which is the first medically licensed ayahuasca treatment center in the world. Oh. Um, and I – so for people who don't know, ayahuasca is a powerful psychedelic that is found in the Amazon jungle – Ayahuasca is a vine that is a 5-MeO inhibitor, which what basically what it allows your body to do is um, digest another plant that's it's found it's a it's a uh, component that's found in a bunch of other plants, the acacia plant, a number of other ones called dimethyltryptamine, and this is what makes um, it, it makes the brew that you brew both the ayahuasca vine and the acacia plant in uh, psychoactive okay and it's very effective at helping people get through trauma uh so an example that was was used by the doctor who um was talking about this was that let's say you got um the the, the doctor i had on my show he said let's say you got bit by a dog when you were five years old right and now you have a phobia of dogs you don't want to be afraid of dogs you want to love dogs you want to be able to go and interact with dogs but every time you see a dog you get a cold sweat you start to black out and it's a legit phobia so the reason for that is because when you're five years old your amygdala which is the place that stores your emotional memories has drawn a path of neurons between dogs fear right and even though on a logical level, you know that dogs aren't scary, your body can't get over that. Right. Right. And we all are holding on to trauma in one way or another. And sometimes it's very difficult for us to get over it, but it tends to seep out in our lives in one way or another. So what ayahuasca does is it allows you to – it allows your amygdala to have a type of neuroplasticity that can reshape these pathways. Okay. Right? And what typically happens for people is that they will have visions and it will take them back to that point of trauma and they'll see and they'll understand that, wait, I don't need to be afraid of dogs
2: anymore. It's an isolated incident or whatever. And it's incredibly
0: whatever. effective and it's, yeah. it's a really big deal because it helps people get over um, big events, maybe... Uh, Someone was molested when they were five years old And they've never been able to hold a relationship As a result Maybe it's just something happening In their job or in their uh, Relationship or in their lives That they haven't been able to see From I would say A more sane place Than we tend to look at our lives Normally right? Because we have Our egos Right and a lot of times, when we're looking at a situation, we tend to either victimize ourselves, or we say it was someone else. You know, we say it was someone else's fault. It wasn't me, and I don't know why I'm in this shitty situation. And what ayahuasca allows you to do is go back to that place and look an instance in your life or your life completely from a place of love and compassion, um, and. It's the real deal, man. I and I went down there and I uh, was filming. And then when I was done, I was able to participate in my first ayahuasca ceremony. I was going to ask, um, yeah, man. And it's uh, it's it's very powerful. I don't recommend that people just sit down with a bunch of friends and drink some ayahuasca. It's it's a real undertaking, yeah. and I would I would equate it to psyching up for a big athletic event okay. right no one knows exactly what psyching up means but it means taking it seriously it means writing some intentions down because the the plant medicine can take you to some very uncomfortable spaces and it's important to have a tether and an intention yeah. back to to where it is that you really want to be so the guy who i sat down with used to be the director of passages which is a rehab center in malibu and the nationwide average for um, sobriety amongst addicts who go to rehab and then are sober one year later is between 12 and 15%. Very low number. Totally. Right? So imagine you're this doctor, you, you're trying to do good in the world, but the efficacy of rehab centers is so low, you know that most of these people aren't going to make it anyway he was introduced to a guy named named jerry percy who at one point owned the largest plastic surgery company in the world he made something like 90 million dollars and in the process he was he got addicted to demerol he mm. was an alcoholic just completely screwed up life but life in the fast lane nonetheless right and he came into passages and was assigned to um dr jeff uh uh, De Niro, I believe is his last name, uh, who was the director. Right, This is the guy who I interviewed. And throughout that process, um, Jerry, the millionaire, he went down to Costa Rica and he used a separate pl- uh, plant medicine called ibogaine. Yep. Ibogaine is an African hallucinogen that is highly effective at getting people off of heroin. Um, apparently, what happens is that it shows you a movie of your life it can be a three-day trip of every bad thing you've ever done so picture you're you're a you're a a heroin you're a heroin addict right you've probably done some shit that you're not (laughs) proud of and after this three-day experience people don't have withdrawal symptoms and they can get off of this opiate okay and it's a it's a really big deal again as i said before we're in the largest opiate epidemic of our country's history so jeff went down there with him and was blown away that this plant medicine is down there and it's still considered a schedule one drug in the united states and in most countries right Mm. which means that you'll get arrested if you use either ibogaine or ayahuasca uh and, and they said, we need to start a center. We, we need to get this out in a safe, medically licensed and professional way where people can have this experience. And they ended up not getting the license for Ibogaine, uh, but they did get a license from the government for ayahuasca. So this is a center down in Costa Rica that is you know, fully stocked, amazing place, yoga, nutrition breath work massages and uh, ayahuasca and people go through major transitions down there and I witnessed it and I had um it's it's kind of hard to talk about because it's so personal but I, I did have one of the more profound experiences of my life and um, I, I man I mean kind of pertains to this podcast but I think that I really healed my relationship around surfing hmm. I've had I've had kind of a convoluted relationship with my surfing. I love it so much. So much of my my life is based around the ocean. Um but I've also not um like it's, it's this constant feeling of not being enough. Right. Not being good enough, not being important enough and this feeling like if I get to this next level then I'll be there. I'll mm-hmm. be I'll be okay then if I get this thing, right? Which is such a it's just such an illusion, right, that our right. egos create for us. And I was able to have this just a very compassionate conversation with myself. Um in a way that since then I've I've been able to enjoy the ocean interesting a lot more without that unhealthy comparison.
2: Well, I don't have sponsors, I don't have any media following me at all for surfing, but I still have that same relationship with surfing that you're talking about, where I am constantly trying to feel like I'm enough, you know, or like I'm not living up to the standard. Like I'm not, I didn't surf a wave as good this session as I did last session or whatever. You, you're you constantly trying to improve. I think certainly when you're learning how to surf, you do that. And so it's hard to transition into adulthood where those aren't your priorities anymore, but for some reason there's a vestige of the past that makes you think that they are. Yeah. Man, know?
0: if there's one thing that I've learned as a result of doing this podcast and sitting down with so many different types of people, it's that your beliefs create your reality. And the belief systems so that you start your day with and, and move through the world with so true determine who you're going to become. And, and a lot of times we have trauma that allows us to hold on to very unhealthy beliefs And our body has no need to hold on to that. Right. Um, So I'm obviously saying that I I think that ayahuasca is helpful. I think that it should be legal for people. Um, And I also don't think that it's just this magic pill that you can take and then you're all good. It's not like I've been in this state of enlightenment since I've used the plant medicine. I think that pragmatic habits coupled with an experience of climbing up that mountaintop and seeing that 360 degree view of the world and understanding that life can be okay and Mm -hmm. you are enough right now is really important um and you can and i've been able to go back to that place and i also take it very seriously and i um not only had insights like that of like wait you're enough you can just enjoy surfing right now but also um i i've changed habits in my life i've started meditating more i've um noticed certain thought patterns that that haven't been serving me um and it's and it takes work and it's continued to take work for me uh as i've moved forward from the experience
2: but but yeah. sometimes you need a flashpoint moment to kind of like it's, important for, it's important
0: for people to know that, that you don't need to suffer, man. Like so many people are fucking hurting. Yeah. A lot of people. Yeah. And I think that we're living in a world right now where people are – a lot of people are very out of touch with what it is that they're really here to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I am an advocate for plant medicine. and think that when it's taken correctly, it can really help people.
2: Jason, can I talk you into grabbing the other beer out of the fridge? Sorry, dude. No. Dude. <laughs> um, just bring it out here and then I've got the opener. Thanks. Um, so, speaking of ayahuasca, I did not know, obviously, that there was this treatment center and I did not know that it was being used by medical professionals, period. And my only experience with it is hearing about hippies, not hippies, but like hearing about people going down to the Amazon and using it just to get blitzed on it and probably not to get blitzed on it they're probably doing it to attempt some sort of healing but because it's not regulated and not done by medical professionals the story is you go down there and there's a shaman and you spend the week and you take this and sometimes a trip lasts multiple days you crap your pants you need a guide to make sure that you don't go jump off a cliff or whatever and it sounds very very uh potentially scary. So that's been my only experience uh hearing people talk about it and then they talk about the benefits too and the benefits seem profound. I've heard people talk eloquently about the benefits of it, but I still to myself go, dude, that's a lot of risk that you're running for a potential benefit. And they've even said like, "Oh, I go back. I go every year and do it." So then I'm like, "Oh, well there must be some benefit." But I'm glad to hear about you know micro dosing and actual, um dose, yeah. dosing of it. Yeah, than
0: well, it. it wasn't it wasn't actually a, a micro dose. Okay. Uh, I mean I drank a couple cups of it, but it's it's not a uh, people people kind of equate taking more drugs with tuning out. Which is generally true, right? If well, you if you drink more alcohol, you're going to become less conscious. If you use more heroin, you're going to become less conscious. But the reason that ayahuasca isn't a recreational drug is that it's not it's not fun. Like to see some of that trauma and face yourself in that way, it can be very hard. And, and a lot of people, you, you mentioned, you know, sometimes people will shit themselves or they'll vomit. Um, that's a purging of trauma. We hold a lot of our trauma down in our stomach in, in our GI tract, right? And that is there. It's, it's really there. So on a physical level, when we go back to these situations that were traumatic for us, uh, people will sometimes purge this out. I didn't have that experience. Yeah. Um, but it's, I do think that there's that negative connotation with like, oh, you took ayahuasca and you started throwing up and I don't want to do that. But uh, when most people describe that vomiting experience, they say is very, it feels like a release.
2: I've actually not heard anybody talk about their experience negatively. I've heard them only talk about it as a positive experience. And certainly there's um, a frightening aspect to it that they do admit to, but they all say that the net, benefit outweighs I I think
0: that there are a lot of uh, woo-woo beliefs with psychedelics also Mm -hmm. because psychedelics are a tool Mm
2: -hmm.
0: from my perspective um, psychedelics are like a skill saw right you can use a skill saw to build a house or you can use it to chop your finger off right and when most people have a bad psychedelic experience if anyone out there is listening who's had a bad psychedelic experience I would ask do you know why that happened Right, and generally, it tends to be that either I wasn't in the right setting or I didn't have the right mindset going into it. And those are the two things that that people talk about: is being in a safe place around people who you trust, and having a mindset, having an intention going into it. In the same way that uh, I set an intention as before, I'm going to go out and surf big waves. Right, right. If I'm just going to go out to Mavericks and be like, "Well, I'm just going to see how it goes," I'm going to paddle into the bowl. I'm going to get destroyed, right? Yeah. But I tend to... I will always set very specific goals. And um, on this experience... It was was the first experience I've had with ayahuasca ever. um, I asked uh, questions. I said, what... I asked, what is in the way of me realizing the highest version of myself? Hmm. What's in the way of it? And I had a journal with me. I took it very seriously. I wrote down these questions... And then my hand would write the answers, and I and I have pages in this book of journal entries that I'm still going back to because it, it is helpful and it's it's serving me in my life.
2: Um, but as you say, like
0: people talk about it, like oh, I saw my dead grandfather, and yeah. I had this wild vision of me up on a mountaintop, and that tends to turn a lot of people off, and I don't differentiate. I don't claim that any of the visions that I had are true in this world, and it doesn't really matter. No, I
2: don't think so either. Right?
0: Because it is helpful, and I am making uh, tangible shifts in my life mm-hmm. life as a result of the experience. And I don't really have a desire to uh, use ayahuasca anytime soon.
2: Yeah. Interesting. Uh, I do want to comment on what you said about intention and the importance of it, because I totally agree with you, especially the older I get. I think that you have an intention every single day and you have every day of your life, whether or not you participated in that intention, you know, you wake up and you just start going into a direction. So it's important to kind of take control of that intention and to set it intentionally. Yeah. Um and so I think that's where mindfulness or, like you said, meditation and all those things come
0: in. What it does is it cultivates a muscle of noticing your own thoughts, mm-hmm. right? Rather than you, David, being angry, right? You can notice the anger, right? And I'm, I'm speaking from this, obviously, so passionately because I'm in the thick of it. I have not figured this out and I still get pissed off and I blow it. But it is a profound shift to notice mm-hmm. an emotion before identifying with it directly. And that is the superpower that meditation can offer us, right? People talk about it like noticing the thought passing by like a cloud. And unfortunately, most people f- think that they fail at meditation because they try and sit cr- cross-legged and clear their mind, right? Mm-hmm. Just clear your mind, make it go blank. That never happens. You never clear your mind, right? The The intention of meditation and a successful meditation session is having a thought and noticing it as a thought and then going back to your breath because that can then serve you throughout the day. Meditation is a practice for real life. Right. And then when you get that call from a coworker, rather than reacting immediately, you can take one step back and notice it and then react in a better way. And I think that that's valuable for people. To, to do
2: Yeah absolutely I,
0: I like the way That I think about it And this was actually One of the things That I, I thought of While using ayahuasca This is one of the Visions that I had Is uh, So I I used to have these um some, They're like a Blow gun So there It's this thing That you pull back And it creates This little uh, Puff of air That will shoot Across the room Okay Right I remember those Okay So I used to have One of those And I pictured I pictured Going into a room Right In any situation maybe it's a party maybe it's a meeting and there are different versions of yourself that you can present to the world right there's pissed off there's neurotic there's happy there's calm right and i pictured it like every version of myself is this air gun going out into the room and I can choose what shot I want to take before I move out into the room myself, right? And mm-hmm. just that little five second thought of what version of myself do I want to present to the world right now can change your entire life.
1: Hmm.
0: It really That's can. Great. Right? So I mean and, and these, no, these it's super these, simple well, these insights are they can come off as as super simple, right? But to feel it and to to embody it is something different mm-hmm. How long? Woo, you how like that long, tangent? you didn't expect us to get on this road, cool. did you? <laughs> how long did the ayahuasca <laughs>
2: trip last
0: it's about six hours. yours was mine, or it mine is yours. just in general. It, it tends to be about six hours okay and it's again it's in a, in a the, the place that I use ayahuasca is in a um, very safe, clean environment. We all have these um, beds that we can lay down on you can get up and walk around if you like Um, there are medical professionals on staff if anyone has any trouble um, with anything there is a shaman there also who's holding the space in the room because it is a uh, the the way that that Rhythmia the center got their medical license it was under a tribal law so Mm -hmm. just as in the United States right now uh, Native American tribes are allowed to use peyote, but peyote is illegal for us to use right now. It's, it's, um, I believe it's peyote is considered a Schedule 1 drug along with LSD, mushrooms, ayahuasca. The laws are different for tribes, so it, Costa Rica does have uh, a, a, um, a group of, of ayahuasqueros. Uh, down there traditionally it's it's they're um known in peru in the amazon jungle but costa rica does have a uh, contingency got it so they partnered with ayahuascaros um to make this center happen and it was it's great to that it's there
2: who uh is the video for you said you were hired to shoot uh
0: yeah i was i was just hired as a, a cameraman oh okay actually um that's one of the ways that i make money is, um, as a cameraman. And it was it was a separate medical training video. It wasn't actually on ayahuasca. It was on a, a stem cell treatment um, that I can't really speak to sure. well enough uh, because it's super com- complicated and way above my pay grade. Sure. Uh, but it was really interesting. And then when the shoot was done, um, our film crew had access to all the amenities for a couple days. Hmm. And... It's it's right near Playa Negra, actually the the center. Um, so we were surfing Playa Negra every day, and I thought, what the hell? You don't always yeah. have these opportunities.
2: Yeah, I'm headed to Negra actually in. I July. can see the wheels turning. <laughs> <laughs> I can see the wheels turning. Um. Well, that's fascinating. Did you? I saw you post something the other day about Cyrus Sutton's new film. I'm hosting a screening for him in Long Beach. Oh, his movie's so weeks. good. I haven't seen it yet. It's so well done. Well, he sent me the link to it, um, and I was debating whether I want to watch it beforehand or just wait and go watch it in the theater, but um, I'm I excited saw, to host it. It's you know? it's
0: really well done. Um, okay, cool. And uh, I actually sat down. I saw that you, you posted yeah, an episode. Yeah. It's kind of funny because we're the two surf... Podcasters, like I feel like we're almost more as a, in a band than mm-hmm. we are competitors because there's not there just aren't that many surf podcasts. There's out there. zero
2: competition, right?
0: So I ended up uh, having him on on my show, and I saw that you you sat down with him as well. He is super sharp, very knowledgeable about the GMO itch, uh, issue, very um, rational about the argument, and in in his film, he presents both sides of it, which I really appreciate. He follows a guy who's a really great Hawaiian surfer named Cliff Capono, yeah, who also um, is studying, uh, I believe it's micro, microbiology, I could be getting that wrong, around um, GMOs in Hawaii. Because it's not a black and white issue. No. GMOs is, is not. And it's, um, I think that a lot of times we tend to think that it is and we tend to say gmos are evil and i did a, a short film on gmos a number of years ago and i met up with dustin Barca and i did the story and in retrospect i don't think that i did the best job doing it because i followed the protest and it was too one-sided against gmos right. but cyrus did a very good job parsing the issues of these are what the benefits are and the reason that that hawaiians are pissed off about this is not around gmo as a technology it's that these agrochemical companies like monsanto dow syngenta pioneer are using very old pesticides and these are pesticides that have been banned in a lot of other countries many of them are restricted use and they kill a ton of weeds and the main reason that they are using uh gmos is for is so that these crops can withstand the pesticides right so as a result you get this testing ground right next to people's houses right next to elementary schools where they're using these restricted use pesticides to see how much they can put on it on these crops before the genetically engineered crops die right and there have been a ton of cases of kids getting sick Most of the crops are on the west sides of the islands, where it's poor Native Hawaiian um, families living, and that is the issue that they have. And that it's uh, the issue is that there's a lot of this land being used in the Hawaiian Islands, and none of that crop, none of the GMO crops, are going um, towards human consumption. Mm -hmm. It's all testing, right? Right. So I thought that Cyrus did a great job parsing the two issues and uh, not just
2: vilifying
0: not vilifying and it's a it's an entertaining story it's a great narrative
2: he's an interesting guy Um,
0: he's in the midst of his tour right now so people who are listening to this should tune in and check out uh, if there's a a screening that's what
2: I've told listeners too. obviously the vast majority of my listeners don't live locally so like the screening I'm doing is here in Southern California but get on their website they're doing screenings all over the place Uh, Island Earth is the name of the film Uh, but Cyrus is an interesting guy I would think especially for you to look at just in terms of guys who have kind of transitioned from a pro-surfing career into filmmaking and his path in filmmaking has been really good thank you in that like he did. He's. Uh, done. Let me just
0: say, you said this is the first time that you've drank on your podcast. Okay, I've had a couple bottles of wine. <laughs> <laughs> this is actually We're the first getting beer right now, my man. All the truth is coming out. I'm going to start hitting you. I the, feel like this has been too too focused on me. So you can ask me one more question. Then it's I'm easy start for digging. me to sit into the interview deep.
2: Feel free, dude. Um, um, so by the way, we should also talk about our beer sponsor today. Sure, libertine brewing company same as the first beer this one's called the stocking stuffer i also think they have seasonal beers like you were saying about patagonia um that's why this one's called the stocking stuffer i think he sent it to me a couple months ago uh wild stout aged in spirit barrels so maybe whiskey barrel or something like that Fermented in a barrel aged in french oak with, again, unclear intentions, yet spectacular results. This one's a bit darker in the glass, like a proper stout. I can attest. It tastes wonderful. Yeah, not that heavy on the palate, though. It's not, like, a super dense beer, but I like it. Um, so what I was going to say about Cyrus is, like, the Corduroy TV stuff, it's all short, five-minute long, you know, whatever— which is all great, but, like, it's been awesome to see him kind of make a transition into kind of feature length. I think this one's maybe sixty, sixty-two 62 minutes or so. Um, and <laughs> more, or less more or less, 62 minutes. Exactly. I just, as I was saying it, I realized that he told me, and I think it was 62. Um, you know, 73% of all statistics are made up on the spot, right? I did not know that. <laughs> <laughs> um. So... He's not only transitioned into a longer format, but also out of surfing. You know, like, this is not a surf film. So I think that that's really cool, too. And it looks incredibly professional, you know, just as a kind of glossy final product. Yeah. So, interesting, dude. Uh, What do you have other than uh, the Ayahuasca project? What are you working on now? Yeah, I mean, it's not actually a project. I was just
0: hired. That was just a a tangential story. Sure. Because I was hired on that um, project, but... Um, folks in the podcast a lot man it's I, it seems like you are You're I, a st- prolific
2: output thus yeah, far. yeah
0: I started this with the intention of hey worst case scenario is I uh, improve my verbal ticks you know I get over that and I have a few beers with friends and like we talked about earlier in the day the opportunity, to sit down with someone and have their ideas be unmolested and uncut allows for uh, a type of honest testimony that I think is valuable and not seen in a lot of other medians. I mean, I, I do a lot of my documentary film work in, in very short form stories. Last time we sat down, we talked about the the last story that I did on the impact the wild pig are having on Hawaii's coral reefs. You can go back and listen to that episode if you want to learn about it, but there's so much chopping and there's so much, uh, sorry, sir. Can you repeat that question a little bit shorter? Like I, I fucking hate that. Yeah. And it's, I feel like I'm learning so much from this and people are digging it and the podcast is growing. Um, so i 'm I am really taking it one week at a time but i 'm i 'm enjoying it because i 'm I learn just as much as they learn totally and and it 's such a blast man. Are you doing one episode a week uh one or two
2: really yeah one or two that 's an ambitious schedule
0: yeah i'm i 'm a curious guy man yeah i 'm a curious guy so i'm i 'm focusing on that
2: What are you doing in terms of are you have you tried to monetize it at all? do you have advertisers on it or
0: uh no i don 't i have a um I I do Patreon, which is yeah. the donation system, and yeah. I, I did get my sponsors um, like Patagonia and RPM Fitness and Sector Nine Skateboards to give to donate uh, every month to three winners. So anyone who donates to the podcast, even a buck a month, and seriously, you guys should do it because. There aren't many people donating, and they've all won either a skateboard, a fitness kit, or gear from Patagonia. Dude, I'll donate. Yeah, seriously, if you donate, but I know a guy who knows a guy who picks the winners. (laughs) But, uh, I mean, it's fun, man. I'm I'm really not looking to um, have it be my my primary income source at the moment. Uh, But I am enjoying it so much. And I do do have these other verticals that I can make money in. So I, I make some money surfing. And I make some money doing speaking engagements and the podcast and my film projects. So the podcast has taken the front runner in terms of enjoyment. Um, and, and who knows what's going to happen though, man. But It's
2: interesting. I think it's the new way of the world, to be honest, is to like have a lot of different income streams, you know. Or I don't know if it's the new way. Maybe it was the old way too. But it's kind of like it takes a lot of pressure off just having multiple – dribbling faucets into the pool rather than like one fire hose because if something gets cut it's like no big deal and it allows you to pursue creative interests like this right
0: and and technology is moving so fast that there's going to be more and more jobs that are obsoleted in the next 20 years than there were in the past 100 totally I I hate to say it but do you think truck drivers are going to have a career sorry to anyone who's listening to this in
2: a truck all my listeners listen on the road
0: in the next 20 years yeah AI is going to take over. Um, if you don't believe me, you should listen to Sam Harris's podcast where he talks about AI. And it's a, it's a real big thing where a lot of the work that we are doing is going to be obsoleted by machines. And the more that we can diversify, the more that we can flex our creative muscles, flex our critical thinking, artistic mu- muscles, the better off we're going to be. Yeah. Uh, specialization is for insects right totally and and i i think that it creates um more security right yeah. and you can look at it even um by observing nature right nature never monocrops they diversify totally. there's polyculture there's one plant that might get taken out by a disease but there's another plant that's going to crop uh, grow up and there's an insect on that plant that you know the the ladybug is going to eat the aphid off of another plant. My mom is a uh, gardener, yeah. so she always talks about how if you have an aphid infestation in the garden, you get plants that attract ladybugs and the ladybugs will eat the aphids. But I think that we can apply that to our own lives and find out what it is that that we're curious about, right? And follow that path.
2: Well, it ties into what you were saying about opiate addiction and just people being unhappy in general. And I think that th- some of that conversation that you're talking about is really specific to you and I who are living in California. We're probably exposed to it more than people maybe, I don't know, in Western Australia who are spending a lot of time in on the farm and surfing and stuff like that. But you and I are definitely in at the kind of tip of the spear of people who are miserable in the concrete jungle, going to work jobs that they hate and not understanding why they did it. And they went into college because their parents told them to, and they left college six figures in debt in jobs that can't afford to pay back the college debt. You know, like that is the norm. That's not an unusual story. That's the norm right yeah. now. Well, so
0: it's a system that's set, that's set up against us in a lot of ways. And if you follow all the rules, a lot of times you'll end up $150,000 in debt by the time you're 22. It's insane. Right. But there are ways out. Yeah. And as I said, the, the podcast is a selfish endeavor. I love just sitting down having a few beers with, with friends and yeah. people who I respect. But I think that it, it is also helpful for people to understand that there is another way. Mm-hmm. And there are habits that we can shift in our own life that can really get us out of these holes. It's not undoable. Yeah. Um, and I, yeah, and I, that's one thing that I'm learning from, from my show is that there are a lot of different ways to do it. So wait, I, I got to get back on you. dude. What do you want to do with what What, what do you want to do with your life? With my y- life? Yeah, yeah man. Oh my this is a big one. I mean, yeah, well, you're here. You got a great <laughs> podcast. You're clearly a curious guy. Uh, um, all right. what, what would, what would hmm. the next, let's say two years look like if everything went as well as they could go?
2: Okay. Personally, professionally, what are we talking? Whole life. What What are some of those uh,
0: those points that you could see? Like paint the picture for me.
2: Okay. Um, I'm going to have to talk my way through it because I don't want to leave a bunch of dead air while I'm thinking of my answer. Um, like paint a, situ- paint, paint a
0: situation yeah. for me that you'd like to – Yeah, yeah. To be in. And, and what, are, what are values that you have? Uh, maybe this is an easier question. That was a big one, obviously. No,
2: I've been but, working on it.
0: Yeah, but what are, what are values that you have and things that you really enjoy doing that you'd like to do more of? And, and what are some aspects of your life that you'd, you'd like to shift?
2: I have found... Um, here's a little known fact about me. Uh, I used to own a wine shop. So I worked in wine. Prior to surfing, I kind of got out of college when I was in college, I was um, working in restaurants and I developed a real passion for wine and food, you know, and so I kind of got out, I got out of college and I got a a job with a retail wine shop and I was responsible for doing some wine buying and got to travel a little bit and really got exposed to it and at a certain point realized that I could take a lot of the relationships that I had developed in that environment and just open thousand square feet super small It wasn't really dependent upon people walking in it was more dependent upon personal relationships with wineries who made very small production and then they wanted conscientious retailers that they could sell to who would really just convey their story you know and so i developed that client base as well who just wanted interesting wines that weren't necessarily technically sound let's say you know, the housewife can go to the local grocery store and buy Kendall Jackson Chardonnay, and every year it tastes the same, and she can depend on that, and that's what she likes. That's not what I was doing. The wines that are actually made by hand on a small vineyard taste different every year because, of course, there's vintage variation. And so that's kind of what I was more interested in, and that's why I fell in love is as kind of – an, it's an art form. It's a drinkable art form. Where the vent and that's how winemakers will talk about it as well. It's like I'm cultivating the land and I'm letting the I'm getting out of the way of good grapes and just letting them express themselves. And then each year, of course, it tastes different. And so what I was interested in was like buying the same wine year after year and learning about that vineyard and that site. And so I did that for five years. I had a retail store for five years, and it was, like I said, a thousand square feet, and then it had Uh, we had wine locker storage as well in the back, thousand square feet of that where clients, they'd buy a case of wine and we'd store it for them in the back. They had key card access. They could come and go as they please. And, um, that was a really, really, really important time in my life that I have a lot of reverence for. But when I kind of moved past it, I was so happy to move past it because it was so all consuming. Um, I thankfully did it at a young enough time in my life. I was like 26 years old when I signed that lease. So like, I didn't know what I didn't know. And I had so much ambition and drive that it was just like, I'm going to make this work no matter what. And it was successful by all measures. And, um, the lease was coming due. And I was kind of, I just had to make a like I was, I had the option to renew the lease for five years or, I had outgrown the space after a year, probably two years. I had significantly outgrown the space, so it was kind of like I either need to move out of this location into a bigger location, which is now investment, and so I either need to bring on investors, make a huge change, commit the next five ten years of my life, invest hundred and ten percent of my time moving forward. I was already working sixty to eighty hours a week, or pivot hard and just like take a break from this. I can't stay here. I'm not going to do another five years here, and this is all to answer your question of like, I learned in that experience, what I really liked about the experience was growing the business. Once the business had grown, I was kind of bored. And again, that was at the two year of the five year mark. So the first two years, I really, really enjoyed navigating and, um, having to, make adjustments and losing sleep over it and that sort of thing. Once the thing maxed out its full potential, it was just not that exciting anymore. And so I have, I transitioned out of that, I think in 2011 and I got involved, I had grown up surfing and had a lot of relationships and surfing of friends who went on to kind of become professional, you know, surfers and then marketing jobs and stuff like that. So it was an easy transition for me to get into um, and then kind of find my footing and, I enjoy the growth process. And so for this podcast, that has been a really enjoyable thing. And I did it intentionally very small with no strategy for marketing or monetizing or anything like that, because I was like, I'm going to make a lot of errors. And I don't know anything about audio production. I don't know anything about interviewing. And I'm reaching out to people who I don't even know to ask them to do this. And so I would like to be able to make errors quietly and privately and i have been i have made a lot of errors along the way but at the same time of course it's just grown organically i've been doing it for four years now um and so it's kind of grown to the point where i'm at that stage again where i need to make a decision like do i monetize if i do i now have responsibility to people and or do i just keep doing it organically To be honest, if I want to deliver the best content possible to listeners, I need to monetize. And I need to actually take this seriously. That's been another huge challenge for me is the time allocation. Uh, It takes more time than I'm willing to admit to myself. So I find myself thinking that I'm going to publish tomorrow, sitting down to edit at 4 o'clock in the afternoon With maybe dinner plans at 7 or 8. And it's like, crap, i got to cancel those dinner plans. Or I need to push back publication till Wednesday. So it's cut into personal relationships because I don't manage the time well enough. And the priority up until this point has always been my employer and my personal... Who's your your employer right now? I don't really talk about it on the... I'll tell you off the air. Okay. Um, I just don't want to tie up. Sure. Yeah. But so I... But my employer and my personal relationships take priority in you my You work life. for El
0: Chapo. I get it. You don't want to talk
2: about it. Monsanto. <laughs> right? So, um, so it's like those things take priority and then the podcast gets backburnered. But I'm at the point where it's like I actually have personal relationships I feel with the listeners. And then now I have an obligation to them. And so I need to kind of give them my best, like my employer is getting and like my personal relationships are getting. And if I want to do that, I need to, again, reallocate my time and also monetize it so that I prioritize it, you know? Um, So that's, I think, what the next phase looks like. And I've actually started positioning those blocks and getting things into place and, another huge thing that I've learned I'm 35 how, how old are you? 27 okay so one thing that I've learned in my 30s is to rely on other people and I don't think other people take until their 30s to figure that out maybe other people figured out in their 20s but like I'm pretty capable and like I've always just been able to do things and like I'll I'll uh, assign something to somebody else and then they don't do it as well as I do so I go hey you know what it's easier for me to do it on my own well I run out of time So I've gotten to the point where I have learned the value of French. I I always have people around me who offer to help and I'm the worst at accepting their offer. And especially back in the wine shop days, that's part of the story too is like when I hit that point of like, where do I go from here? Do I grow? Do I uh, get out of this? I had multiple people take me to lunch. I was a young guy running a business and dealing with affluent clients who are literally buying $200 bottles of wine by the case, you know, in multiple cases. And so they were like, Hey, I was a young entrepreneur at one point. I like you, I see myself in you. So when I got to the point of, do I grow or do I get out of this? Uh, I had multiple people take me to lunch and just go, dude, what do you want to do? I'll write you a check. And honestly, like I don't even need to be involved like i'll write you the check we'll be partners but like you do you i believe in you i'm not going to tell you what color to paint the walls i'm not going to tell you how to run your business if you need advice i'm here for you but like whatever you want to do like i just believe in you and i said no thanks to that because i wasn't willing to commit to the lifestyle the lifestyle had really really um drained me you know i was burned out so What I've learned though, moving on is I've always had people around me who offer help and I always decline their help. Even, okay, this is a great example. I was with Cyrus Sutton when we recorded that interview. It was at his mom's house in Ojai. We finished recording and she's like, hey, do you want some watermelon? And I'm like, no, thanks. She's like, oh, it's delicious. I put lime juice on it and mint and salt. It's like, it's a fantastic treat. I was like, no, that's that's okay. She's like, no, I want, it. I want you to have some. It's so good. I'm like, no, it's cool. I got to get on the road and it's sloppy and I don't want it in my car. Like, I got in the car. I was starving. And I'm like, I wish I would have taken that watermelon. And I'm going to go get a sandwich right now. Why did I not take that watermelon? Because I thought it was polite, but she wanted to give it to me. Like it would have warmed her heart if I would have eaten that water, you know? But there's something in me that for some reason doesn't want to accept the gift or the help or whatever. So moving into kind of this next phase of my life, I've recognized the value of not only can those things benefit me because I have a lot of shortcomings that I'm only acknowledging now and those people can bolster those things. And then the flip side of that, the additional side of that is those people want to help. They feel gratified by helping. Yeah, I feel gratified the help. The beer
0: we're drinking right now was from someone who gets value yeah. out of your show. Yeah. And as a result, they want to send you
2: something that they're happy to share with you. Yeah. Or you've called me five minutes before recording a podcast and go, hey, I'm having this problem, this technical problem with my microphones. I felt gratified to help you in that scenario. So I understand what it's like to give the help. I am now only kind of understanding and recognizing that as the receiver of the help. So, so all getting of, better at asking for help. And all of that is to say, you asked me where I want to go in two years. This podcast has infinite potential. There's there's listenership that is, there's millions of ears that we have not touched that want this podcast And I, that is my goal is like, I have a very long-term, large lofty goal with that. And because it's not monetized, I don't have the ability to hire people. But what I do have is listeners that have emailed me. Jason is shooting photos here right now. He emailed me and he's like, hey dude, I really want to expand my uh, commercial portfolio. Can I shoot photos of your podcast? And because of this new philosophy, it's like, I could use those photos. Yeah, why don't you come shoot photos? People have offered design work. People have offered website work. People have offered financial donations, all sorts of stuff. And you, Do, you haven't taken it? Well, we started the financial accepting donations in October, and that's been actually a cool. huge relief. But all this other stuff, I've, I've built, basically built a little team of guys that it's like they can help me get to the next level. And now when it tom- comes to time allocation, I need to allocate the time to lead that team. And that's where I'm at right now. So, so what are you going to do to make that happen? Well, we're going to re- redesign the li- like the logistics, the website, rebrand partially. Um, it's all just announced right now. I wasn't planning to, but like it's basically Surf Splendor Network with a series of shows that run on the network. And um, a news show. A profile piece show a film review show one thing that i'm really passionate about is film outside of surfing and also in surfing like i grew up watching surf films as we all did but like i care a lot about it and i've got a lot of complaints about the state of surf film and there's a couple of people i would like to shine a light on as well but it's like there's no critic there's no film critics in surfing and i have an opinion so i'm gonna You know, not necessarily, like, call myself a critic, but just, like, take that role of reviewing things. So that'll be one of the shows. Do you you fear that taking on sponsors on the show would water down your content? That is a fear, but I think you have to get into the right relationships. So if those offers come, you figure out what their motives are and whether they align with your motives, and you have to say no to the paycheck at sometimes and... Um, the nice thing about podcasts is that there are a lot of shows, like Tim Ferriss'
0: show or Joe Rogan's show, where sponsors are paying. I heard that it costs thirty thousand dollars to be a sponsor on Tim Ferriss' show. I believe it, right? But he doesn't he doesn't take any guidelines from the sponsor. He can still exactly. talk. He can still talk about whatever the fuck he wants to talk about. And that's the nice thing about podcasting is that you can take a sponsor. And you can still talk about whatever it is that you want to talk about. Whereas in film, a lot of times it waters down the content, right? It does. Like you can kind of smell a rat if there's a quote unquote editorial story done by one of the surf outlets. But then it like just somehow makes you want to buy that Tacoma at the very end
2: of it. Sure. Right. And, And viewers are smart. They know what's up. Well, not only are they smart, but by the way... We're the, we're the key holder. Like on Tim Ferriss' podcast, I hit the skip button for the first three minutes of the show, and I get right into the non-sponsored part of the show. Like the actual him talking and interviewing the guy or whoever, you know? So if you don't want to listen, you don't have to listen. Yeah. And I hate to even say that because as a guy who's potentially going to ask for sponsorship at some point but that's the reality but i'll tell you what it
0: does do right is that if you do listen to a tim Ferriss ad you're way more likely to buy the product than if you feel like it's being snuck in in the way that every other advertisement is true if you notice if you go out through your day and you notice how much is being advertised to you it is a sickening experience yeah. and I, oh, i'm totally. I, and i'm from santa cruz where it's actually illegal to have billboards on the side of the roads but right. Driving down here, um, man, it's a, it's an interesting human experience to be m- bombarded by this much information. But if you have a brand that you do align with and your listeners trust you because you're an honest guy and you're being open about it and I'm getting you drunk right now, they're going to trust your ad
2: right yeah. more because it's, it's going to come from a more authentic place. I agree, and that is what the sponsor should value as well is they... I wouldn't partner with somebody who didn't value that. Like, I would partner with somebody who said, hey, you do you. Like I said, those investors were telling me back in the wine shop days where it was just like, if I try to dictate you, your listeners aren't going to actually listen to what you say anyways. So you do you, and I trust that you will. We're on the same page here. you know. And so I will also say, in reference to Tim Ferriss, even though I skip all of his ads, I have used audible which he advertises and i have looked into wealth wealthfront which <laughs> right? he advertises I to, you know? and i have looked into like so somehow i know 99 designs he used to advertise yeah i didn't use them because turns out freelancer.com has the same thing for way way cheaper but i've actually looked into the things that he's talked yeah. about you know so it got through somehow the advertising yeah. got through yeah so it's interesting and by the way that thirty thousand dollars it's per spot and he's got like three or four guys and he's doing intro he's doing bumpers on the front and the back oh like you slide dog it's crazy right golf club so yeah so and but i look at that and i go surf podcasts it's in its infancy like it's nothing and if we can only look at other podcasts that like the same medium, but just outside of surfing as a harbinger or like an indicator of what's to come, then there's untapped potential. And why hasn't it been tapped? Because you and I are failing at tapping into it to a certain extent, you know? So how do you tap it? Well, increase output, increase quality. Share this episode with a friend. Exactly. Like I need to increase the quality of what I do and I recognize where I have failed at that as well, you know. And listeners are eager to tell you that all the time where you have failed. So,
0: I think you're good enough, you're <laughs> smart enough and gosh darn it David, people like you. Yes. <laughs> um well, what, what else man? We've we've well, uh, that's, we've really gone around the
2: that's the most i've talked about myself ever on a podcast so well that's what we do yeah
0: that's what happens when you get one podcaster and another podcaster on it
2: no i don't mind at all you know um and i know listeners care and like they want to know what's up so you're an interesting dude thanks man i appreciate it i still care about wine thanks for having me on your show and you on my show simultaneously dude crazy the way technology works simulcasting right now um what, when you, you've been down in Huntington, obviously for the weekend because of the big wave awards, are you surfing while you're here? I was down at lowers, uh,
0: this morning. And oh, really? It was the best I've surfed lowers ever. No way. Oh yeah. I, I see that sinking look in your eye right now.
2: Total FOMO right now, dude. Oh yeah. I was, so I was out of town over the weekend and I saw photos, like it was insanely windy. I think it was Friday night. And then that all shifted to Santa Ana winds, which are like offshore here. And so Saturday I was out of town. I was looking at photos on Instagram and it was like perfect offshore, you know, mid like chest high, super good. It's
0: a gorgeous wave, man. I always forget how good it is. And this morning I you're not allowed to claim turns. I did four turns on a wave, and it was as close to claiming a wave where I only did turns as I've ever come. The speed of the wave makes you feel like a better surfer than you really are. It's
2: true, yeah. When you when you get done with a session at lowers, you think you're a rip. You think you're Chloe Andino.
0: Oh yeah, Chloe Andino actually touched me on the shoulder this morning. It was a big moment in my life. No way. Way.
2: Don't ever wash that shoulder again, dude.
0: I haven't. (laughs) The, The left armpit's already starting to smell
2: bad. Was he ripping?
0: Oh my god. Oh, my God. I think he's you,
2: positioned for a world title, dude. Are we, are we going to get into this right now? Yeah. Oh, baby. Do you pay
0: attention? I, yeah, I do. I mean, one of my childhood friends is Nat, so I pay attention uh, mostly to him, but I'm a fan of the sport, man. The the when you, when you look at a local pro, and you see them surf, and you think, wow, that guy was ripping, and then you look at someone on the world tour... They go at a different speed. Yeah, it's it's a a noticeable speed that they that they go. And this morning, watching Kaloe, he goes faster than everyone else. And every time he hits it, it's so crisp and so precise. And as much as I have, uh, you know, criticisms of the surf industry and the self indulgent nothingness. And the stupidity of the marketing. I am such a genuine fan of the sport and the athleticism that those guys possess. It it really inspires
2: me. I totally agree. And that thing that you're talking about, a local pro versus world tour pro, I remember having that epiphany when I was like 18 years old. The guy who rips the hardest at the pier at Huntington and thinking like, how can you ever get better than that? And then the US Open rolls around and Kelly paddles out for a free surf. And it's like, it's not even comparable have you it's had him on weird. your podcast no I've never I don't even know how to reach out but that's the pinnacle I would I've told listeners as soon as that happens I'm hanging up the mics dude walking <laughs> away dropping the mic and getting out of town like that's what I want yeah um well get, it's get him get him talking about Nikola
0: Tesla if you have him on that's what'll get him going well
2: so here's the deal I feel like the reason why I would want to have Kelly on isn't for a feather in my cap necessarily it's I feel like there's a lot of things that I want to know about Kelly that have never been discussed. What do you want to ask him about? Um, well, I guess. He's a talker.
0: Yeah. I got to interview him once. For what? Uh, for, for that same film that I, that I interviewed Van Jones for. Okay. It was for this proposed nuclear power plant okay. um, film. And he's a talker. Where's when, that film? When you get him. Get him it's on YouTube. What's it called? It was an old one, like J-Bay Nukes or something. Uh, J-Bay Nukes. I made it back in 2011.
2: Okay. It's not very well done, but uh, I was 20. Well, so while I just said there's a lot of things about Kelly that I haven't ever heard asked or heard him talk about, last week, maybe two weeks ago, somebody released a podcast with him where they covered a lot of that stuff. It's called The Traveling Wellness Show. And it's out of Australia. I forget the guy's name. It was like episode fifteen. He's like just getting started in this show, and he got Kelly. And it was at—he's an Australian guy. He got him at Margaret River during the event there. And uh, after Kelly had already lost, so he had downtime before bells. And they recorded it in the middle of the night because at one point Kelly or the interviewer goes, uh, it's almost midnight, so uh, I, we should probably." And Kelly goes, "I got nowhere to go, like." I'm here. What do you want to talk about? He stays up late. Yeah. He stays up late watching YouTube videos about conspiracy theories. He talked about one of them and it was bizarre. It was like, yeah, he's insane. He's a little insane, but I'm intrigued. You know, and he's obviously intelligent and. Oh, he's very intelligent. Yeah. He's, he's genius level
0: intelligent. Mm. Yeah. Do you know who else is? Mm. Kai Lenny. Really? Dude, I just sat down with him. Yeah. That kid is sharp.
2: He's young too, oh, right?
0: Twenty-four years old? Yeah. He was blowing my mind. Really? Oh yeah. Just that that same kind of uh feeling that you get from Kelly where you're sitting across the table from someone who's who makes you feel like an
2: idiot. Hmm. So tangential uh story. You know they talk about being in the room of greatness or being in the room with somebody I know it feels good man it's (laughs) confusing right I just give off that aura you do what can I say there was once I never like I've heard that saying but you know I, I never really thought much about it there was one time in my life where that happened and I was at UCI I was in a college class and there was extra credit to go hear Maya Angelou speak she's a poet author. Yeah. And do you got to get out of here It's some time? Okay. Um, so I just went, I don't think I had read any Maya Angelou books at that time in my life. I went strictly to get extra credit for the English class that I was taking. And I was sitting in the back of this auditorium. It was a giant, it was actually like the basketball stadium or, you know, auditorium. It was in the back and the nosebleeds and the bleachers. And I'm just sitting there rapping with whoever I was with. And The lights go down, everybody silences, and she walks up on the stage before she even got to the microphone. Just when I saw her enter the stage, it was, like, (laughs) captivating. Like, every all the focus and energy in the room just paid respect and reverence. And she, like, slowly made her—she's pretty old. She made her way to the microphone, and she just, like, leaned in and just goes— hello and it was just like the hello made me want to cry and everything that she's I, i can't actually tell you what she talked about right now i
0: don't remember what it was what qualities did she possess even walking on stage that you
2: would describe i i think it was beyond something that is visual i think it was life experience that she had that was an energy That was just emanating off of her. And you talk about intention and that being important. I feel like she lived with a certain intention that infected the rest of the room. And she has such devout belief system and is so sincere about it that it just, you know what it is without her even having to talk about it. She's got that air gun, and she thinks about it before she goes on stage. Dude, she probably had that air gun backstage practicing, aiming it at the wall, <laughs>
0: bringing out the best version of herself. Maya
2: Angelou in her in her robe, <laughs> um, Doctor Angelou uh, busting an air gun into the yeah. back of the curtain. I well, saw some I've... puffs in the curtain. But actually, you know what? Even... One of the
0: thing that one of the things I don't know if you if you uh, experienced this. <clears throat> oh boy, I'm starting to slur. Here we go. We got to wrap this up soon. Uh, One of the things that I've experienced in podcasting with people who I really respect is that it does uh, disenchant you to people who you did hold on a pedestal because you learn that everyone, no matter how famous, no matter how accomplished, still have that shit that they're dealing with. Mm. And ultimately, everyone is dealing with the same shit. Right, we're, we've, it, it was, com- I believe, by complete chance that you and I were born into the situations that we were born in. That kid on the streets in Peru was born into the situation that he's in. We do different things with our lives and with our situations, but ultimately we're dealing with the same set of emotions, right? Which is, uh, by that belief standard, we are reflections of each other. Right, and that when we can break down those walls, and if someone might be famous, we break down that wall and say, "Hey, no, you're just a person. I'm sitting across from you, and we're going to talk about something that might be helpful to someone else." Um, is a very cool life experience. Yeah, it is.
2: It, yeah, it is. You should interview think, Slater. Yeah, hook it up, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Start hitting him up on Instagram. Yeah, I mean, he, I've bantered with him on Instagram, and He's, he listens to the show. Like I. I had um dave prodan the vp of communications for wsl on the show at one point and he told me he's like dude I'll, slater listens i can tell you for a fact so um i vocalized on the show that i want to have him on the show i just don't have his email address i don't know how to get a hold all of you mind. listeners out there hook it up ev- everyone has hung in there with us yeah start
0: insting, yeah. mr slater and I want, to, I want him, on, him to him announce show.
2: I want him to officially announce his retirement on this show. Oh, and like here's the deal. I already discussed this. We've got it all planned out. We've mapped it out. Slater, you just need to deliver the goods right now. Uh, <laughs> he can announce it that night on Instagram, but the podcast goes live the next morning. That's mm. the strategy. Yeah. So it's like it's already in the can, the story's already told, <laughs> and we're going to be the first ones to tell it. He breaks the news and then we tell it. That's how it goes down. Slater? Hey, man. I don't know when your retirement's coming. I I believe in you. Yeah. I believe in Um, you. Talking about your question to me and then what you just said, one thing that I want, that I am kind of focusing on moving forward, is um, living in the moment and also kind of organizing my life in such a way that it becomes rote or. Um, mechanized so that I can live in the moment in experiences. And I've not been good at that. And so even when you came over here today, I was thinking about everything that I did or didn't check off my list today. Everything that I have that's coming due tomorrow The boardroom show is this weekend. I've got tons of prep to do for that. I'm going to be out of town for that. I was out of town this weekend. I just got home 30 minutes before you got here for the first time in two or three days. And I'm worried about all those things. So then when you sit down, I'm not even here with you. You know what I mean? And it takes a period of time until I'm actually here again. And I know that's not good for relationships. I know it's not good for the podcast. So moving forward, that's another big thing is just kind of Organizing my life in such a way that I can actually live in the moment during those moments because it's all about the moments, right? I mean, that's what you're
0: – it's all about the money
2: in that's my not... view. It's
0: all about getting a fast Ferrari, making $90 million, getting addicted to Demerol, then going down to Costa Rica and figuring out that it was all an illusion. I
2: would do it. I'd, I'd For 90 mil? 90 mil. I'd sell it. I'd sell five years like give me five years and at the end there's a 90 mil balloon i'll do it
0: yeah but then you're tweaked out right what what if you get into that life where you don't have any real friends right where you need to feel okay about yourself because you're hooking up with a perfect 10 model and you feel incomplete as a result and you need to drive a Ferrari through Malibu and you're suicidal and you are engaged in a business that ultimately at its core is making people not feel good about themselves and they're coming to you because they don't feel that they look good enough right
2: that's not happiness I'm gonna ayahuasca it back into shape yeah that's the goal dude (laughs) um let, so, let let him make all those mistakes
0: for you. I, you just got to keep following what you're into.
2: Here's the deal, dude. Uh, real talk, okay? Not joke. Because we haven't been having real talk no, this no, no. whole podcast. This is nine, two hours in. This is real talk. Uh, I'm happy. I don't care. So I'm not worried about it. Um, final question, as always, for everybody, was what was the last surfboard that you rode? This morning at
0: Lowers, I rode a 5'10 Fletcher Chenard 18 and a quarter, 2 and an eighth shortboard. And it was magical. Was it? It was magical. Oh, yeah. It's my go-to shortboard. I've had it for like almost two years now. And yeah. it's the board that I bring on all of my trips, and it just works. It makes me not have to think about surfing. It, it make, you know the board that works so well that you can just ride it and do what you want to do without having to think, oh, I need to put my foot a
2: quarter inch yeah, further yeah.
0: back towards the tail pad. And it was it was a great session, man.
2: So you uh, do you get
0: a bunch of boards from different people? I do. Uh, I get my I've gotten my big boards, my Mavs boards uh, from Travis Reynolds, right? And I've recently been enjoying Fletcher Schnard's boards quite a bit. Mm. Uh, but yeah, I I chameleon around and ride whatever it is that I'm I'm enjoying. And man, seriously. Uh, Riding weird boards has kept me having so much fun with my surfing. I'll ride these fucked up weird little fishes out front my house and have such a blast. Recently, I've been hand planing. I've I've discovered hand planing. If any of you out there haven't done it before, it's amazing. Right, And it keeps me in the water, man. And it keeps my love of the ocean alive, which is
2: ultimately more important than anything. I totally agree. Um I interviewed a couple of weeks ago, speaking of Patagonia and then writing Fletcher Chenard Boards, I interviewed a couple of weeks ago Keith, M- yeah, Keith Malloy, uh, about his new film, Fish People. And he did a film previously, Come Hell or High Water, which was all about body surfing. So well done. Really well done. And also just – How would
0: you review that
2: film, <laughs> sir? I'm not prepared. I need to actually write that. It's coming up, up, though. You should absolutely do that.
0: Because, you know, I've talked to people who listen to your show who say uh, one or the other. They say, oh, I really enjoy the interviews or, yeah. oh, I really enjoy the surf breakdowns. And no. that's the nice thing about podcasts is if you, is that you don't need to do the same thing every time and you can yeah. get different listeners in for different types of shows.
2: Yeah, and that's that's been fine up until now. But I've... Now I need to kind of delineate and define what's what. So they know, hey, on the first Monday of every month is the profile pieces on the first Tuesday of every month is the or the second Monday of every month probably is the surf news pieces on the third Monday of every month are the film reviews. You know, like there needs to be a little bit more definition. There's too much confusion. Uh, because I just haven't defined it myself, so that's understandable. But um, moving forward, yeah, clarity is important. Clarity, right on, man. Clarity. Keep doing what you're doing. Thanks. I think you're, I think you're right on track. Appreciate it. All right, dude.
0: a Khan! As always, reach out to me with feedback on the show, recommendations for new guests, or just stop by my website, Kyle.Surf, to say hello. All right, check back in soon. We got some good episodes coming for you. But first, I'm gonna leave you with this song Dawn to Flight by the band Wildlight.